The triune God, Christian, is for you. You may not know how to pray as you should. The Holy Spirit does. He intercedes for you, for you, for me. Jesus, we're going to see in verse 34, is praying for us. Uh, He's always lives to make intercession for us. God is taking care of everything, Christian. Enjoy it. Bask in it. Revel in what God has done for you and for me. When you pray, know that though your prayer is frail and weak, there is one interceding for you who takes your prayers, so to speak, and translates them, if you will. He knows how to pray, and He intercedes for us. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue on our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of a message titled, The Spirit's Intercession. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. We can learn a lot from mulling over John 17 or Ephesians 1 or Ephesians 3 when you have recorded for us the apostles' prayers. These are things we should study and mull over and learn from. And we will grow in our ability to pray. We do grow in our ability to pray. That's part of maturing in the Christian life. We get better at it. We become more fruitful, you might say, in our prayer life. Our prayer life begins to line up more with God the Son's prayer life. And I might add, God the Spirit's prayer life, because that's what our text is talking about. As we spend time with Him and as we mull this over, and I think if ever the adage applied, you know, practice makes perfect. Those who really give themselves to prayer become better at prayer. Those who are really burdened to pray and do pray uh, become better at prayer. But having said all that, and that needs to be said, I think, I think we, that you can't read the Scripture without seeing God's desire for us to pray. But having said all that, Practice does not make perfect. In fact, the more you pray, the more you sense what verse 26 says. We don't know how to pray as we should. Those of you who perhaps have prayed the most sense this the most. It's the cocky, immature babe, perhaps, who thinks he knows how to pray. The more you pray, the more you realize, I don't know how to pray as I should. And there are many things that keep us from uh, praying as we should. But aren't you glad? Look at verse 26. In the same way, even in this area, like every other area of life, even in this area, this most simple of things to talk to our Father, we don't really know how to do it as we should, but the Spirit helps our weakness. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He comes to our aid. He helps our weakness. And that term He uses for weakness is kind of what we talked about last week when He was talking even about our resurrection body in in Corinthians 15. The seed is sown in weakness. It is raised in glory and power. We are weak. We are frail in the body. We are yet waiting that day when we'll be with Him, and the Spirit knows that, and He intercedes on our behalf. He helps. 
He comes to the aid of our weakness, our frailty, our uh, unredeemed state, if you will. I mean, you say, well, how are we weak? Well, physically. Think about it in prayer. We fall asleep, don't we? Well, maybe you never do. The disciples did, didn't they? And uh, I think every honest Christian knows something of the frailty of our physical bodies when it comes to praying. We can't concentrate. We start to pray and our mind wanders off in every which way, huh? There'll be a day when that won't happen. But in the meantime, that's the way it is. We don't know how to pray as we should. Emotionally, we can get carried away this way and that way, and our prayer lives are subject to emotionalism. And our emotions can lead us down wrong pathways. We don't know how to pray as we should mentally. We are very finite. We don't even know what to pray for at times. It's to me, and I'm very helped when, you know, when, uh, by prayer lists and, and uh, promptings that we jot down things or when we print it up and we gather for a corporate prayer meeting. But just the same, doesn't it ever strike you that this ought not to be the way it ought to be? We ought not to have to have a list to know what to pray for, but we do. We're limited. We're finite intellectually. We don't have all the facts. We don't even know which way to pray. Two choices come, and we don't know which fork in the road to pray for. Or we find out later, we were praying for this, and boy, am I glad God didn't give it to us because we were praying for the wrong thing. And we're very limited. We don't know how to pray as we should. And spiritually, sometimes we don't even sense the danger we're in. Now, you think about it. We don't know how to pray as we should, but aren't you? Look at the verse and enjoy it. The Spirit also helps our weakness. We don't know how to pray as we should, but He does. We fall asleep, but He doesn't. He who keeps Israel will neither neither slumber nor sleep. Turn to there, uh, Psalm 121. Just look at the psalm. Enjoy this, Psalm 121, because uh, that's maybe, maybe, I mean, there's several verses in here that are fairly familiar, maybe come to your mind, but that one might be the most familiar. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. But you may think, well, that's just talking about Israel's keeper. What about me? Well, he applies it to all of us. I'll lift up my eyes to the mountains. From whence shall my help come? The psalmist says, I look up to the mountains. Is that where my help's going to come from? No. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I don't pray to the local deity. I don't have to pray to the local spirits, this mountain or that mountain, as they did in those days. And as people, and even misguided Christians, are becoming increasingly geographically uh, praying for geographical areas rather than and binding spirits here and there and that sort of thing. Listen, we don't have to pray to local deities or worry about those things. We go right to the Lord. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. 
Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Aren't you glad? We don't even know how to pray as we should, but He does. We might fall asleep, but He won't. I might tell someone I'll pray for them, and I try not to say I will pray for someone unless I mean it. But I have said to my shame, haven't you? I'll pray about that and forgotten. He never will. He never will. I've fallen asleep. He won't. He won't. I might be emotional. I may not know which way to pray. I might be guided by my emotions down a wrong path. He won't. He's the all-wise one. I might be finite and am very finite, but he... Elihu said as he kind of summarized his thoughts on God is perfect in knowledge. Job 37 verse 16. He is perfect in knowledge. 1 John 3.20, God knows all things. You go out and walk through the woods and you might see dozens of little birds here and there. You look up in the sky and you see a whole flock of them. Jesus said, listen, a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground, but my father doesn't know about it. He's got all the hairs of your head, not just counted, but numbered. He knows everything. He is not limited in any way. We might be. In fact, we are. We don't even know how to pray. He does. He does. He intercedes for us. You know, he knows everything. He knows the future. Isaiah 46, he knows the end from the beginning. So he knows exactly what our needs are. He knows the potentialities. Do you know that? Uh, Let me read you this. You remember when David was being chased by Saul? That kind of sorry picture of Israel's uh, situation under their first king that they wanted. And Saul was trying to kill God's anointed, David. And David was protecting Israel. He had taken over. In fact, he had uh, delivered this city, Keilah, from the Philistines. And he was hiding out there, and it was a gated city. And David and his 600 men had delivered it. But he had to worry not only about the Philistines, but about Saul. And so he prayed. He was there, and it came to his attention that, uh, that Saul was still looking for him, and here he was inside this walled, gated city, and he went to the Lord. And David said, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant has heard for certain that Saul is seeking to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Lord, I've heard the rumors. I've heard that Saul's going to come and destroy me and uh, destroy the city in order to kill me. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? I've delivered them from the Philistines. Lord, would they? And he looked around at the city and he wondered, I wonder which way they'd go if push came to shove. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down just as thy servant has heard? He asked him specifically. O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, he'll come down. Yeah, Saul will. Come down and destroy the city on your account. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? 
if he gets here, will, will they turn on me even though I've delivered them from the Philistines? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Well, then David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah. And they went wherever they could. And when it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the pursuit. He didn't come and destroy the city. But had David stayed there, God knew what would happen. And so David said, Lord, what will happen? And he told him, will these people turn on me? Yeah, they will. Then I better get out of here. And he did. And the city didn't get destroyed, and Saul gave it up, and David went on his way, hiding from Saul. And you think about that, you see that quite a bit through Scripture. You see God's ability to know even the potentialities. If the miracles have been done in Sodom and Gomorrah and Tyre and Sidon that have been done here, they'd have repented long ago, Jesus said. God knows everything, and He intercedes for us. Oh, look at that verse again with new joy. We don't even know how to pray as we should. We don't even know the trouble we're in. We don't know the danger we're in spiritually. But God is all wise and the Spirit Himself, the Spirit Himself, I love the way He says it, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now let me just uh, point out, this is the third use of that term groaning we've seen in this whole text. And he's tying it together for a reason. He's not talking about us sitting around groaning audibly. He says it's too deep for words. And he's certainly not talking about tongues or anything like that. He's talking about the mystery that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with, and then he uses this same term he's been using, with groanings too deep for words. You mean to say, and that's exactly what he's saying, that the Spirit's purpose in our life and His intercession on our behalf is consistent with what He's just said. The groanings that we have awaiting the future glory, why the Holy Spirit intercedes with similar groanings, too deep for words. In other words, let me put it very simply, God's purposes in our life and the Holy Spirit's intercession in your life, Christian, is consistent with what he's just revealed. The present suffering is not worthy to be compared to the future glory, and God is going to finish what he started in your life, and the Holy Spirit intercedes in that direction. He intercedes with groanings, very similar to the groanings of the creation and very similar to our groanings, but our groanings are, we don't know how to pray as we should. We know what should happen. We look forward to what will happen, and we long for that day, and we sigh and we cry out where the Holy Spirit is praying right along with us. That is God's will. We can know that. Oh, what a certainty we have here, and he's going to develop it further. We come to the more familiar didactic passage. I mean, verse 28, God causes all things, even this suffering, to work together for our good. God is for us. Who's against us? I mean, you read this passage and no wonder we ought to memorize it. No wonder we bask in it. No wonder Christians love this text. But the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. God's purpose is consistent with our holy longings. Do you long for the future glory? Of course you do. Well, His purpose is consistent with that. He intercedes with groanings too deep. And then look at verse 27. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. 
because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, don't miss that and enjoy the... And I don't think we can. I mean, with our finite minds, we can't grasp this. When he says too deep for words, it's too deep for our thought life also to really understand intercession in the triune God. But God the Father searches the hearts. He knows all things. David, when he uh, prayed for Solomon, and I've got parents and kids on my mind right now as I'm thinking ahead to our time uh, in looking at what the Bible says about parenting. But what, what a prayer David had and what a hope he had for his son. As for you, my son Solomon, he said as he was on his deathbed, know the God of your father. And serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he'll let you find him. But if you forsake him, he'll reject you forever. Oh, my son, know God, because he knows all about you. He knows your heart. He knows the depths of your heart. He knows your thoughts. He understands every intent of your heart, Christian. Now, that's a comfort to his own. It can be a fearful thing to those who don't know him to think that he knows all this. Oh, Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Let us know when I sit down, when I rise up. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, thou dost know it all. You remember how the 139th Psalm starts? And we glory in that, and we ought to. We rejoice in it. God knows everything. The Father knows the very thoughts of my mind and heart before they, long before they get there. Shoal and Abaddon are open to you, the proverb says, Proverb 15, verse 11. Shoal and Abaddon are open to your eyes. How much more the hearts of men. If he knows everything, he certainly knows our hearts. There's no creature hidden from his sight, Hebrews 4.13. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. I could cite passage after passage, but it is proper. And in fact, it is the reverent thing in prayer. When the apostles got together and prayed in Acts 1 for wisdom in selecting who should replace Judas, he certainly was not available anymore in every which way you could think of to be an apostle. When they got together and prayed for guidance... Here's what they prayed, Acts 1. They prayed and said, Thou, Lord, who knowest the hearts of all men, show us. That's a great way to pray, isn't it? But I want you to turn over to Hebrew, or not Hebrews, Revelation. Look at the last of Revelation for just a moment. Revelation 2, verse 23. This is right in the midst of our Savior's messages to the churches. And in each message to each church, if you're familiar with this context, he gives a little bit of a description of Christ, the risen, glorified Christ. And in case, when he gets to the church of Thyatira, there's no question who he's talking about. There isn't in any of them, but I mean, look at verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, who can see right through you. That's who's talking, the Son of God. And verse 23, look what he says when he speaks of the judgment he will bring on the unrepentant. I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I, who? 
Jesus, the Son of God, that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. God the Father searches the minds and the hearts. And Jesus said when he brings judgment, everyone will realize, all the churches, all those who are his will realize that the Son of God searches the minds and the hearts. And now you look back to our text and notice he speaks of the mind of the Spirit. He who searches the hearts, God the Father, God the Son, you can take your pick, knows the mind of God the Spirit because he prays for us according to the will of God. Now, this is more than we can comprehend. Even articulating it, I end up feeling redundant. God knows the mind of God because God prays according to God's will for God's children. But I enjoy it, don't you? Bask in it. The triune God, Christian, is for you. You may not know how to pray as you should. The Holy Spirit does. He intercedes for you, for you, for me. Jesus, we're going to see in verse 34, is praying for us. Uh, he's always lives to make intercession for us. God is taking care of everything, Christian. Enjoy it. Bask in it. Revel in what God has done for you and for me. When you pray, know that though your prayer is frail and weak, there is one interceding for you who takes your prayers, so to speak, and translates them, if you will. He knows how to pray, and He intercedes for us. And I take it that this is related to our prayer life. He's the one who causes us to say, Abba, Father. He's the one who stirs in this that desire to talk to our Father initially. He's the one who prompts us to pray throughout our Christian life, and He is the one who intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Oh, I hope, I really do, that having really mulled this over, that you and I will never go to prayer lightly or as lightly, let me put it that way, knowing how weak we are, as lightly as we tend to. I pray that always we'll remember this truth, that God the Spirit, who knows exactly what God's will is, is interceding for us. And He's interceding according to what He's revealed, that the present suffering is temporary and it's not worth comparing. It has purpose. It's the pains of childbirth. And the glory that's to be revealed to us, the revealing of Jesus Christ and the children of God at the end, oh, all that is God's purpose. He's going to get us there. I'm confident of this very thing, that He who began this good work in you is going to complete it. And we can pray accordingly. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, The Spirit's Intercession, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. 
The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the Ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. We're excited to report that the Romans Project is expanding rapidly into the countries of India, Nepal, Thailand, and Cambodia. We invite you to click on the link for the Romans Project on the front page of our website at downtownbible.org. There you'll find monthly updates, testimonies, and images from Romans Project outreach around the world. To learn more, navigate to romansproject.org or connect with us at facebook.com slash romansproject. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Look at the verse with me. It doesn't say merely that all things work together for good. It says God causes all things to work together for good. It doesn't say almost everything. It says all things. And it doesn't say... All things work together for good for everybody. Oh, no. doesn't say for everybody. It's for those who love God. It begins and ends with God. The comfort that we take in this text, it begins and ends with God. That's why I say we know Him. It's a personal knowledge that we have of one who personally knows us. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, God's Unshakable Purpose. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.